Well, Yenzi, we have a great guest on the show, uh, the star, the darling, if you will, of the 2023 Giro d'Italia, Derek G. I mean, you were on the back of the bike. You commentated on the race. Tell me a little bit about this 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 kid from uh, from your perspective. Well, it's actually pretty easy. When I saw him, like the second time, the third time in the break, I mean, he only fit, not only finished four times second, he finished on fourth places as well. So he was often in the break. And I went, dang, he's just a younger version of myself. That's the easiest way to describe him. But you know, Yenzi, I was thinking about this because he was in the breakaway, or you said, what, six out of 21 stages. Um, pretty impressive going for the win that many times. That, I'd have to say, you've never done. But you were in just as many breakaways and us as your teammates quite often we'd be back there like man he's in the front again like why can't we be in the front why does he always have to be in the front i wonder if there was ever like some thought process like that like his teammates like hey give us a chance to get into the breakaway because that's how it was with you man <laughs> well i don't know i mean i just started in the front and trying to okay make sure that if the right break goes that uh, I would be in it. He seemed to have the instinct, but also the legs to follow up on his plan, you know, and that is in the end, in the last week of Grand Tour, the legs are the key point in order to make it into the break. You're absolutely right. So without further ado, everyone, welcome to the episode with Derek G from Israel Premier Tech. All right, everyone. We are super excited to have the media darling of the 2023, let alone all-time stud this year in the Giro d'Italia. Welcome to Bobby and Jens, Mr. Derek G. Thanks for having me. Well, Derek, I have to admit, I didn't really know your name before the Giro, but unless you're living under a rock, um, everyone in the cycling world knows your name. But... I don't know. I think it was the day of the time trial. So that was last Saturday. And we're talking about potential guests. And I'm watching the, the Giro and kind of reading up on things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to troll old Derek G on the internet or on Instagram. And I sent you a message saying we would be honored to have you on the podcast. Bro, I had no expectation that I would get a response with everything that you're going through in the in the media and all the attention. But I don't think it was more than five minutes later you responded. So where were you when you got that message? Were you in the bus at the race or were you at the hotel? Tell me. Yeah, I was sitting uh, I was sitting on the team bus. Uh, we were there a bunch of hours before the start. So I was just on my phone and then I saw a message pop up and I went, no, come on, that's not Bobby Julik. And I clicked on it, and I was like, hey, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll go on your podcast. I, I have to say, that was the coolest response. And the way that you worded it, um, I, I screenshotted it and showed it to Jens and our producer, Mark. And right then and there, I was like, this guy has got to be the nicest guy on the planet. Like, who would be looking at their messages and responding to somebody trolling on them, um, you know, before the start of the time trial? Um, but anyway, long story short, here you are. Holy cow, man. I mean, what a major, major three weeks that you just had. I mean, you must be exhausted. Um, how are you holding up right now? How is, uh, how are things going on the, uh, 
on the other side of the the camera again it's it's actually it's going pretty well i mean i i think with the amount of warning i got for how i'd feel after a grand tour uh i mean every pro i talked to was like you know get ready it's gonna you know you're not gonna feel good and i mean i think i prepared myself for the worst but i'm doing all right <laughs> which is actually pretty amazing because i had the honor to work at the Giritalia in the middle week between the two rest days for eurosport gcn on a motorbike and like after two days I didn't even need to look at your number anymore. I'm going, ah, front group. Yep, Derek G, all good. I'm on the radio. Hey, guys, Derek G on the radio. Get me in the show. Derek G is out there again. Unbelievable. Where and how do you find the energy? And you cannot tell us you got just caught by accident in the front group, right? Especially towards the last week. It's always the same strong riders. They go on the break. How do you find this energy? Do you just had like a really good sleep? Or how did you manage? I was sleeping horribly because it was so much more, once I started getting results, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't used to it. I had no results, so I couldn't shut my brain off. I was getting, you know, four or five hours a night for the last week. It was horrible, but, uh, it was funny because at the start they kept telling me, our directors were like, okay, there's going to be days where I'm going to tell you to sit up and go in the group head before you feel like you need to go in the group head because you have to save your legs. And uh, that was really hard for me because stage seven, for example, we were climbing for, I don't know, 40K at the end, but it wasn't going hard. It was, you know, like 3%, it wasn't going hard. And they get on the radio, Derek, it's time for you to sit up now. And I'd be like, well, you know, I'm not, not suffering yet, come on. <laughs> and then uh, I got, but I'd sit up and then, uh, and then I started going in breakaways and, and Eventually, they were like, okay, usually we tell you to sit up, but you know what? You'll probably end up in the break today, so you can go ahead and try. <laughs> well, you were born the year that Jens and I did our first Tour de France. Um, that was also that was my second Grand Tour I had done the Vuelta before. Uh, for the first 10 days, I couldn't even get to the front of the peloton. <laughs> It was going so fast. And finally, I think on the 11th day in the neutral zone, just to say that I did it, I went to the front of the Peloton and like tapped my hand on the handlebars and gave myself a high five and said, you did it. You made it to the front of the Peloton in a grand tour. This is amazing. But looking back at your season, right? You started down in Australia, the Santos tour down under, um, you did the UAE tour, you did Strada Bianchi, you did Torino, you did the full cobbled classic season. And let's just say, like you just admitted, there wasn't really any indicator of the form that you would have in the Giro. What convalesced for you between the your last race, which, which was Peru Bay, and that start of the Giro, and especially up to stage eight of the Giro. What changed? Was it the training? Was it your nutrition? Was it your confidence? What converged at the right time to give you those magic diamond in the leg sort of feeling? I was actually, I wasn't, I wasn't going phenomenally in training before the Giro. Um, I didn't have, I, I didn't do an altitude camp or, or anything like that because I wasn't, 
it wasn't originally part of my calendar. Um, I think I think it's just a combination. Maybe Grand Tour racing was was good for me because I mean I've always gone better after a couple hard days, like at the end of a training camp or something. I definitely have have better legs, but there's also a lot of factors in the race. I think maybe two weeks of really like shitty rainy weather was maybe a little harder on on some of the other guys. I have a little uh, a little extra padding keep me keep me going for those first two weeks compared to maybe the the you know 60 kilo climbers or whatever it was but uh yeah i i don't really i don't really understand it at all um i mean the whole three weeks people were asking me like where is this coming from and i was like i have absolutely no idea your guess is as good as mine um but it, it was only i only really felt good going hard too on the days you know in the neutral i'd be feeling horrible absolutely horrible we were riding easy and it was only when we would you know the hit kilometer zero that the legs would wake up again and be like okay you know we could do this it's just one more day and then another day and then another day but what maybe there's no secret to it maybe you're just a natural born fighter you know maybe that's that's what you are as soon as it starts to hurt you wake up you go yep i'm in maybe it's just that what it is you're born for this sort of stuff you know I think the other thing was that it was every day felt like the last chance. Like stage, stage 16, I thought was the last chance. Stage 18, I thought was the last chance. Stage 19 was the last chance, but it, it was kind of like, okay, I'm all in today because there's nothing to lose. You know, tomorrow's stage is no good. And then I, and then the next day it's like, well, I'm not aiming for today, but there's nothing farther down that I'm saving the legs for. So, you know, might as well try again and. I mean, some of them, some of them were stupid, like Crans Montagna, the one that it started straight uphill, straight downhill, 25k valley, straight uphill. I'm 75 kilos. That was stupid of me. <laughs> there was no, there was no shot I was ever going to win that day. I got to the top of the first climb. I, I looked around. It was like Cepeda, Rubio and Thibaut Pino. And I'm like, okay, this was, <laughs> I, this is not a good idea, but, uh, yeah, I think I think the the stages kind of got more unrealistic for what I thought my kind of rider style was. So I was all in every day, thinking it was the last chance. <laughs> was that the stage that we saw on social media where that Canadian uh, fan was running alongside of you, um, speaking in just perfect Canadian, a bunch of cuss words and just a bunch of encouragement? Was that the the climb up to Crans Montana? What where, what stage was that? No, what made that more spectacular was that we were in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't a famous climb. It wasn't. That was stage 10, I think. It was the stage that I came to the line with uh, Magnus Court and DeMarkey. And it wasn't It wasn't a big climb. It wasn't, you know, packed with fans. It was pouring rain. And there was just this guy at the side of the road with a big flag screaming. It was awesome. Oh, and then I saw him on every climb after and uh, every stage afterwards. Um, so now you must be becoming like quite the hero in Canada. When is the chance for you to go back home and have your parade in your hometown, you know, open car, <laughs> thousands on the street throwing flowers at you. Where, where do you go home next time to enjoy it a little bit? Well, I'm from a town of, uh, I think it's maybe less than 5,000 people and my dad and I might be the only ones who ride a bike. So I don't think that's, uh, quite how the reception will go, but, um, Luckily, I get to go home in about a week. So I race on Sunday uh, and then 
yeah, and then I get to head back to Canada. So I'm pretty excited about that. Wow, you're going to have some stories to tell, my friend. Um, <laughs> but getting back to that, what goes inside, go, goes on inside a rider's head these days doing his first grand tour. Obviously, you have a very experienced group of DSs around you um, telling you these very smart things like, hey, we're going to tell you to slow down before you think you need to slow down because we've done this before ourselves or we have experience and we know. But you just happened to stumble into probably the worst weather to start a Grand Tour ever. I mean, two weeks and all but, what, one day was just like pouring rain and freezing cold. How does that factor in to your morale to say, what am I doing here? This is ridiculous. Like, this isn't fun. I, I wouldn't think it would be fun. Um, what was it like having to deal with all that negativity of the seeing the crashes, people getting sick, people getting COVID, and you're just sitting there like, hey, man, let's race. I just want to have fun here. I want to finish this thing. I, I want to make a name for myself. But it must have been tough dealing with all those variables that really not very often in the Tour de France do you have to deal with, or especially the Welta. Yeah, the, I think the biggest thing was I was rooming with uh, Simon Clark. And I mean, super, super experienced rider, but also he, he comes in day one and he goes, listen here, buddy, all right? This room is going to be nothing but positivity. It's so easy in a Grand Tour, especially when with the weather we have coming up to just get super down and the race, it will last forever. So he's like, we're going to be nothing but good vibes and positivity the entire race. And I think I, I remember coming in maybe stage seven or something. I looked at him, I'm like, this race is flying by. And he goes, yeah, it's the positivity. You go into another, uh, like other riders rooms, they're three weeks in already. <laughs> and yeah. no, it, it was awesome. He, he was there and he was just, he was just like, look, ah, it's going to be really shitty sometimes, but we're going to be nothing but positivity in this room and it's going to help. Trust me. And, and it did. It was massive. That's a really good advice and maybe a lesson for your future. Maybe in 10 years from now, you have a young kid coming to you and go, hey, kid, listen, this is what I have been told. That's a pretty, I never heard of it before, but that is a very good policy and clearly it did help, right? Um, so what is your next race then on Sunday? Uh, Brussels Cycling Classic. So I think it's just testing to see how does my body come out of a Grand Tour, you know. Am I going to get spat in the first 20K or am I going to get, am I going to be flying and just... Uh, it, it will be raining and you will be going, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> I can totally see it in my, oh, absolutely. All right, so Brussels and then uh, back home. And then have Very you nice. talked about any future plans with the team, your racing program, or you, nah, just let me to relax for a moment? Um, I think the, those talks are definitely coming. I'm really confused about... Uh, I, I said at the beginning of the year, I want to use this year to find out what kind of rider I want to become. Um, and in, in a way this year helped, but in a way it made it way worse. because I have no idea. <laughs> so I think, yeah, for sure. There'll be talks with the team about where they want me to go as a rider, whether they want me to just keep doing what I'm doing and racing the way I am and maybe give me more breakaway opportunities or whether it's you know, try some kind of a GC in specific races. I, 
because I have no idea, honestly. I thought I thought I wasn't a climber, and then sometimes I'd look around at the Giro and I'd be like, "Hey, hey maybe maybe I'm a bit of a climber." <laughs> I've raced or watched quite a few Grand Tours during my career, and I would say there's only one other guy who had a better breakout Grand Tour than you, and that. Well, he's your teammate this year. His name is Chris Froome. And when he came into the Vuelta in 2011 and retrospectively won the thing, it was very much the same. Like we were getting so many questions like, wait, who is this guy? You know, what kind of rider is he? How is this possible? But, you know, Chris went on to a pretty amazing career and is still racing and he's your teammate. Has he given you, uh, have you spoken with him? Has he given you any bit of advice about how to deal with this uncertainty of this, this newfound stardom? Not, uh, not yet. I might, I might reach out to him, but there's, there's certain guys on the team who either I just don't have a similar calendar to and, and haven't spent a lot of time with. And then there's guys who are really, I, I know pretty well and, and have been really great on, on the advice. And I mean, everyone... That's the nice thing about this team. Obviously, there's a lot of old riders. It's kind of a like a running joke on the internet. That there's a lot of old riders, but the amount of experience in the team is unbelievable. Like it, it's it's basically an endless, like an endless stream of of knowledge about professional cycling that you can tap into on this team. So, I mean, I, I've I've talked with, uh, you know, Simon Clark gave me a ton of advice. Daryl Empey, you know, Mike Woods, like just guys, especially Mike being from Canada, kind of knows what it's like to, to come over here. And then, and I mean, he had a pretty, uh, he had a pretty quick rise to, to success in the sport. So there's definitely a lot of guys who I've been b- bouncing a lot off of, um, because yeah, I kind of have had endless questions <laughs> lately about, about all this stuff. So no, it's, it's been really, really cool. When you uh, mentioned yourself, you want to find out what type of rider you is. Sitting behind you on a motorbike, I mean, I was also out there in the rain. I couldn't help to think to myself, somebody with that much energy out on a medium hard stages, out on a really hard stage. I mean, you almost outclimbed that Buitrago on a mountain top. That was bloody amazing. So did, you, did it ever cross your mind? You go, maybe I should try to become a GC rider? I think, I think it's hard to look... I, it's hard for me to look inward and, and, and say that. Cause I, I see, you know, I see, I see the GC guys and I'm like, wow, these, these guys are really another level. So when I have other pros tell me that I should try it, then it's something really cool. I mean, my dad sent me the clip of you saying that on the GCN show. And, uh, Absolutely. Hell yeah, yeah, I was praising <laughs> you, man. You my <laughs> hero. Absolutely. He was like, this is Jan's voice saying this about you. You should try GC, and you know it's like, yeah, that's that's awesome. Maybe maybe I'll try GC. But um, the the funny thing about the the Buitrago stage was he. I mean that that was perfect for him, right? We were at twenty three hundred meters. It was twelve percent or something ridiculous. And I remember uh, my DS was on the radio encouraging me. He's going, uh, he's going. He can't close it. He can't close it because he was sitting at around you know five ten seconds behind me. And I remember looking back, I was suffering so much. I remember looking back and he's just got stone cold face. And I was just thinking, 
no, you know what? I think he could probably close it. And then he comes <laughs> flying by. <laughs> like, ah, it was nice to dream for a little bit. <laughs> well, a question kind of comment is I see that you're signed with Israel Premier Tech until 2025. Um, whoever signed you for a three-year contract <laughs> is a genius, by the way. But what was your contact? What was your in to go from where you were and then in 2022, uh, I, I'm, you know, going to the cycling, uh, Israel Cycling Academy and now on Israel Premier Tech. What was the, the stepping stones there? Who, who was your um, angel that got you into the, the world tour Peloton? Yeah. Um, so my, I mean, this, this wasn't the connection that from the sporty perspective, but I do have a connection from the team before because, uh, Sylvan Adams, the team owner and my dad used to race domestically in Canada against each other. So that was a, that was a funny connection that they, they know each other quite well, but it was actually, uh, the performance manager for the team, Paolo, uh, Saldana. I, I reached out to him. And he looked at my numbers and, and he was like, well, we don't, you have really good numbers, but you don't have any race experience. Cause I'd just been doing track. I was a team pursuer for, for five years. And, uh, and he's like, you know, try and try and find, find yourself a team and get some results. And, and we'd absolutely, you know, love to have you if you can translate this to the road. And then at the end of 2021, he messaged me and he goes, uh, Hey, do you have a team yet? And I was like, no, I, I do not have a team. <laughs> He's like, okay, I know you're, I know you're not an under 23, but you know, we'll give you a, a, a spot on the, uh, on the development team. And I was like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Anything to start racing, you know? And, uh, no, it was a great opportunity. And especially with the system where I could race up with the world tour team last year, it, it really, that opened a lot of doors for me. So I have Paolo to thank for, for the opportunity to, to race. And um, looking at your, your um, career, you had years where you didn't race too much. So the way it looks like it is not the end yet of your development. You know, you had your first half of a season of solid, constant racing. You absorbed the workload pretty well to come out with a great Giro. So I guess there's more to come, right? Um, well, you got two more years to go. Um, so yeah, GC could be an option. Um, but now that you had so many, you had probably now, until now, you had more race days than in an entire season before. You would rather tend to take it a little more easy on the second half of the, of the season, or you go, nah, whatever races, bring it on. I race wherever you send me. I think, I think they're probably looking at it going, okay, he's at, you know, 50 world tour race days or close to it in, in May. Um, and Probably, I mean, I don't have much on the calendar coming up. I have, uh, I have the one day in Belgium and then Canadian nationals. I've got, I've got quite a break, I think probably until world championships. And then, uh, I don't know how much they'll race me in the second half, but for sure the, the big goal will be to go and to be going well for, uh, Quebec, Montreal. Cause that's kind of like a, a race that I went to. I went to the first edition of it. Um, when Thomas Vogler won in, in. Quebec and maybe maybe Hessink won in Montreal and I've wanted to race that race since um so as soon as I started getting results at, at the Giro I went up to the team and I was like hey can I uh can I race Quebec Montreal this year <laughs> and they're like yeah yeah all right you can race Quebec Montreal <laughs> uh, so that was a 
that was one of my big wins from the Giro. That's a that's a dream race of mine. So that's the big goal for me for the end of the season. Well, talking about racing in Canada, I pulled something off my office wall that um, you may recognize. Uh, you just got done with the biggest stage race of your career, but I'm going to show you this. Can you oh, see that? Awesome. Yep. So the Tour de B2B, you actually did it twice as a junior. Um, I participated twice as well. It was really one of those kind of stepping stones to, hey, we go over and race those guys over in Europe all the time. Now they're on our continent and it was different. It was a different feeling. Like those guys had to deal with jet lag. We didn't. Those guys had to deal with different food. We didn't. Different duvet covers. We didn't. And for me, it was such an amazing race. And you talking about how excited you are to go back to Quebec and Montreal. Um, I know it was a while ago. You did. You got eighth in your first year in 2014 and seventh in 2015. And it was pretty cool to see some of the names of the guys that you were racing with. But I think, you know, junior racing, especially at that level, um, it doesn't happen all the time. But you had it in, in Canada, and it was like such a big race for, for juniors back then. What are your memories of the Tour de la B2B when, when you got to do it those two years? I think the first, the first year I did it, I was told it's nothing but crashes. It's absolutely nothing but crashes. It's, uh, it is the scariest race. And I remember stage one, we didn't make it out of the neutral before they had to stop the race to get the ambulance to, uh, to come pick some guys up. And, and I was thinking, oh, yep, that's, uh, that's about what I heard. But, oh, it was such a, it was such a fun week, both years. Um, and then looking back, it's really cool to look back because a lot of guys who race it are big names now. So me and my buddies that I raced Abitibi with, we'd go back and go, oh, I didn't know we raced this guy or I didn't know we raced this guy. And then you go back to years before and it's, you know, some of the most famous riders um, in the peloton. And it's like, oh. Everybody's gone through Avidavi. <laughs> we'll be back after this short break. Now back to our chat with Derek. Um, <clears throat> now, um, I want to pick um, your memories to a more recent event in the Giro. You finished, sorry to bring that up again. You finished four times second on a stage, right? Which one of them you think I could have won if I would have choose the left side or the right side or waited a little longer. Or you think all four of them, you have been beaten square and fair and there was nothing you could change. Or you think there's just one, if I would have done this or this, it, I could have. Is there one of them? So go, going through them, uh, stage eight, when I lost to Ben Healy, he was in a different bike race. No, uh, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 60K to go, wrap it up. You know, have fun with your win. <laughs> we'll fight it out back here. Um, then the stage 19 with Buitrago, I think there there wasn't much I could do. I, I think I gave myself the best shot getting a gap before the final climb. Um, then the other two, the one with Nico Dens, which was the closest and hurts the most uh, because it was about half a wheel. 
that one, although it was the closest and it hurt the most, I don't know that there's anything else I could have done. He took it from 900 meters, basically gave me a lead out. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm going to win this thing. He's just leading me out. And I couldn't come around. him. I couldn't come around. Him. And it looks like I started my sprint really late, but I was full sprinting the whole time. And it was only because he started to fade that I was able to come out of the wheel. And so that race was about 10 meters short, but I think I did everything I could there. The one that was less close than that, that I think about a lot and that I sh probably should have done something different was the one with uh, uh, Alessandro DeMarchi and Magnus Court. Because I didn't have a perception of how hard the race was. Because to me, almost every race is maximal. So afterwards, when I hear Magnus Court say that was one of the hardest days he had on the bike, that's when I think, you know what, maybe maybe I did have the legs to sprint him at the end. But the problem is when you're coming in and you think, I'm in a group with Magnus Court Nielsen. He is the guy to win out of a small group. And then I think, well, I better attack because, <laughs> you know, this is Magnus Court Nielsen. I'm not beating him in the sprint. So uh, that one I think about a lot. What if I had? But I think if I had saved it for the sprint and lost to him, I would have been kicking myself like, of course you lost to him. It's Magnus Court Nielsen. You should have, you should have tried to attack. So yeah, it, it's tough, but I think that's the day I look back and I think, mm, what should I have done there? Maybe, maybe I should have attacked earlier. Maybe I should have, yeah, that one I think about. Well, in the words of Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. I don't agree with, um, <laughs> some other people say second is the first loser. I also don't agree with that. I mean, what you did was in a race that maybe was lacking uh, with a little bit of action, you know, obviously due to the weather. And I, I just got to say that um, watching it on TV, I was disgusted when I started to hear in social media that riders, past riders were making comments about these guys aren't tough. You know, I'm sorry. That was so out of line for anybody that's not in that race to have any opinion whatsoever because we don't know what you guys are going through i mean i would talk to jens who was on the back of the motorbike who had w w waterproof clothes on and a helmet and he was just like whoa you know that that was cold that wasn't fun i wouldn't want to have been on a bike that day but you animated a race has it sunk in i mean has it really you know in this sport, it's such a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately sport. And by you not winning and getting second so many times and finishing second in the points, in the in the climbers, in the inner Giro, um, and then finally getting the win for the most aggressive rider, I think that endeared you m even more to the people. Because, I don't know, I, like I said, didn't really know you, but I said, okay, this... This kid gets in a breakaway. He's going to, you know, try to win one and w we won't see him again. And then it was just like, there was twice where you were in a break that got to the finish and then got into the break again the next day that got to the finish. Like you need to pat yourself on the back. And we as cycling fans, first and foremost, um, need to thank you. So thank you for having just such an amazing, fun time. And you know, being such a nice guy about it as well. I, I think once, I mean, once we lost our, 
GC guy, Domenico, uh, unfortunately to COVID, it was kind of like, well, what do we have to lose? You know, we were a bunch of young guys and, and we were attacking the race. And I don't know if this was you, Jens, that said this, but in my memory from when I was a kid watching bike racing, it's attributed to you. But someone said, if I go in the breakaway, there's maybe a 10% chance I win the bike race. But if I stay in the peloton, there's a 0% chance I win the bike race. And 10 is better than zero. So that stuck with me. I don't even know if that was you that said it, Jens, but in my memory it was. And so every day it was like, well, what am I going to do? Sit in? I'm not winning a sprint. I'm not winning from a GC group out of on, on the mountain stages. And like I said, it, it wasn't like I was saving my legs for the next stage because I had just written off every other stage as too hard for me. So yeah, I figured <laughs> it might be hard to get in the break, but if I don't get in it, I'm just going to suffer just as much in the Peloton. Actually, <clears throat> I did say that. And to make you proud as a Canadian, I took it in the original version from the famous Canadian athlete ever, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky just once said, I missed 100% of the shots I never took. And then I adapted that to cycling <laughs> and went with that. So yes, it was actually Wayne Gretzky giving me that idea. And now you heard it from me, yes. But you, you're completely right there. Um, just another thing to make you smile. Did you follow the tweet of Jonathan Borders when he said, well, he had a Canadian coming up to him saying, hey, I got this little young rider. You want him? And he took it. He went, I regret I didn't. You can't win them all. But he said, shame on me. I did. You follow up on that? That that was very funny because I, I remember somebody telling me when I was looking for a team, somebody told me, hey, I know a guy and Jonathan Waters came into his restaurant and he gave Jonathan Waters your resume. And I was like, really <laughs> that's that's awesome and then it's really funny to hear it resurface so many years later from the other side uh -oh. well you, you you said something there that i was definitely curious about that when you lost your gc rider and you know you had nothing to lose you know yourself matthew riccatello who had an amazing giro as well um do you think that if you were on any other team in any other situation, you would have had the freedom to do what you did? And do you think that maybe some of the other riders that are on those big teams that have to protect their GC guy were jealous of you going in the break every day and, and battling out for the win when they were sitting back there getting bottles and, and you know, uh, bringing, it, bringing in the Gruppetto at the end of the day with their, their sprinters? I think, I think for sure. I mean, I mean, it, I think it's different if maybe you're riding for, you know, the guy who's winning the race, that's probably a really cool experience in its own, in its own right. But I mean, we, we couldn't have been, the atmosphere couldn't have been better in the team and we couldn't have been happier to just, I mean, you know, we love Domenico and, and, and we love helping him when he when he's when he's going for a GC like that but for a bunch of guys who were on their first or their second grand tours all five of us at the end it was kind of like infinite freedom and um every everyone kind of just stepped up to it we were like we know this isn't an opportunity that comes around very often and yeah it, it was really cool in break formation almost every day you could see 
two or three of us up there and we're looking around and there's, you know, all the big teams and we're like, wow, we're, we're actually in this, like we're in the bike race. And no, there were some really, really cool moments. I mean, Matthew had a ridiculous Giro. The, the TT at the end was, it was crazy. It was, it was an incredible performance. And then to have a guy like Marco get up there and almost win that one stage and, uh, especially with being Italian. It was a really, really cool atmosphere in the team. Everyone was uh, everyone was riding a high for that last week. Hey, um, just an easy question. Um, I, I'm just curious uh, for the tech uh, geeks out there. On that last TT, on that crazy steep climb, what sort of gear ratio did you use? We heard that Roglic was on a 40 chain ring and 44 sprocket. That's the first time ever that I heard in men's cycling of a negative gear ratio. Well, what sort of gears did you really in reality use up there? We weren't quite that uh, quite that dramatic. Uh, I was running a, so all race I was running a, a 40-34 and I, I didn't, I didn't put a lot of time into, into the last time trial. I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it um, for obvious reasons, but it, it was, I remember them saying, okay, for the TT, we're going to give you a 36, 34. And I was like, oh, come on. Do I really do the 36, 34? I put my hand up there? right away. I'd be like, yeah, baby. <laughs> I was running out of gear. I was like, <laughs> you got a, you got a 32 or something back there. This is a, this is hard. No, it was, I've never done a climb like that. It was ridiculous. Um, and, and the worst part was the, The asphalt was really bumpy, so it was kind of like, you know, you're already going slow enough, and then you just get jostled around a little bit. It was, uh, it wasn't so fun, especially not the sections with fans. You kind of forget about it when you're going through the fans, but when you're just on the mountain and you're looking around, there's no one there, and you're like, well, be nice to just put a foot down right now. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it was so, you know, we, uh, I am biased towards North Americans being in Grand Tours, and I seem to pay more attention to them. And you gave us an amazing show. Brendan McNulty won a stage. And Matthew Riccatello, I mean, he is a awesome kid. He's super young, known him for a while, known his dad for longer. And when I turn on the um, the time trial, he he's two minutes ahead of second place. And I start... I, I text his dad and I'm just like, that was a, that was a burner, man. Like that was really good. And he goes, yeah, I'm so upset right now. I was at the race, but then it was logistic nightmare to actually watch the race and get home. So I just turned around and went back to Nice, which I guess that's where Matthew uh, has an apartment. And, and Matthew's like, that's fine, dad. You'll have a better view of me in the hot seat on the couch in Nice on TV. How cool was that, that like that actually happened? And, you know, Matthew up there in the hot seat for as long as he was, what did he finish 11th on the stage? And it was just that last wave of riders that came through. But what kind of, what kind of inspiration? You said that Simon was a very positive influence on, on you, but you know, Matthew is probably even less um, experienced than, than you are. How did you guys keep his head in the game? Because, you know, the first week it looked like he was climbing really well. Then he went into the Gruppetto and kind of lost that aspiration, which I thought was fine. 
And then in the last week, he's up there in the mountains again. And then that time trial, he just absolutely blissed, blitzed. What did you guys as teammates do to keep him motivated? Or would, was the whole team kind of feeding off of you and, and um, your, your other teammate? I'm sorry, I forgot his name, the, the guy that almost won as well. Um, uh, Marco. Marco. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we were all feeding off each other. Matthew definitely, of the guys who made it to the end of the Giro, Matthew definitely had the toughest time. He got a little sick early on and, and his performances started dropping because he was sick and you could tell it wasn't, he wasn't having a great time. But then you could kind of see every day he's coming better and better and better towards the end. And you could, you could tell that his mentality was shifting. He was, he, he had his eyes on that TT and the way he was on the TT day wasn't, it was completely different to every other day because I think he knew my legs are finally back and this is perfect for me. And he was, I mean, the energy he was bringing was unbelievable. Like Matthew's a very quiet guy and we could see him going at the time trial. We were like, he, he's going to have a ripper. And I think, I mean, I think if it had started at the bottom, he would have top like the bottom of the climb. He would have top five that stage. I mean, he, it was so cool. We were watching it on the bus him come across the line and we just started looking at each other and we're like is he gonna win this <laughs> that's a two minute plus gap He's, he might win this and of course you know there's there's some of the best riders in the world coming from the gc group but you know you get that energy going on the team bus and we're all thinking this is it this is the day we finally get our stage win last possible chance but uh no it was really really awesome to see the energy that he was bringing on that last day um, talking energy and <clears throat> surviving a Giro Italia or three-week tour is also a question of food and nutrition. Um, <clears throat> we talk to some riders where they, they weigh their food. They tell them you can have 65 grams of whatever, carbohydrates and 80 grams of proteins. Uh, how is it in your team? Is it a little easier or is it really regimented and super strict or you have a little bit of freedom there? It's, it's a really good balance. We have a, a dietitian who tells us, you know, this, this many grams of carbs, this many calories for each meal, but it's very, it's very loose. So for a guy like me, I never stopped eating. Uh, I think, I think I lost five pounds during the Giro and I never stopped eating. I never, it, it was ridiculous. And then I was telling Simon this, I was like, I'm starting to lose weight. And he goes, yeah, mate, if you're losing weight in a Grand Tour, you came in too fat. And I was like, okay, you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm enjoying this because I haven't stopped eating. <laughs> That's funny that you mentioned gaining weight in a Grand Tour because it happens to so many riders. And except for the guys that seem to be on the pointy end of the, the race all the time. Because, yes... There's a lot of time to sit there and shove food into your mouth, right? And if you're not in the breakaway, you're not you don't necessarily need it. You just kind of do it out of boredom, out of out of nervousness, right? And you know, you gain two kilos in a grand tour. And, you know, I I think I maybe of the I don't know, ten or eleven grand tours that I did, I think I maybe stayed the same once, but normally I would get get skinnier because it was just always something to to fight for um so it's funny that you said that because i don't think there's many people that realize because we see you on tv and you guys are like 
paper thin, right? Like if you went in a little heavy, man, you lucked out because you had that extra layer on to protect you in the cold. And then you were able to, to burn that off and get, get even better at the, at the finish. But, you know, obviously you're a proud Canadian. One of my biggest heroes of all time, Steve Bauer is one of your DSs on the team. Um, how cool is that having Steve Bauer, um, to, yeah, as a DS and a confidant? It, it's unbelievably inspiring to have a guy like that because I grew up knowing what Steve Bauer did um, for Canadian cycling and, and on the world stage. And I mean, one of my friends and my girlfriend actually both have a very different experience because they didn't grow up with cycling. They're both cyclists, but they didn't grow up with cycling. And Steve Bauer coached them a little bit in uh, in Canada. And I was I was obviously a little you know starstruck meeting Steve Bauer the first time, but they had no idea. And I remember my girlfriend was once watching a clip of Perry Roubaix, and she looked at Steve and she goes. Hey, Steve, did you ever race this? And he looked at her like, you have no idea who I am, do you? <laughs> but, but to have a guy like that, I mean, he he was the director for uh, all the, the Belgian races I did and for Paris-Roubaix this year. And to have that level of experience, but also to have the relatability of it being a Canadian guy, um, it's really, really cool. And, and um, especially, I mean, the most accomplished Canadian cyclist of all time. It's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty inspiring to have a guy like that in the car. So um, now we're already talking about you being Canadian. Um, I just have to ask, like to all Canadians, how come you didn't play lacrosse or hockey? I mean, isn't that what <laughs> all Canadians do, lacrosse or hockey? So uh, how, how did you choose cycling? And we already heard that your dad was a keen cyclist. Was that your influence and or... You just looked at Steve Bauer on TV and goes, I want to be just like him. What inspired you and why did you choose cycling? I I did play a little bit of hockey. Uh, I only played one year of ice hockey, which is blasphemous in, uh, in Canada to only have played one year. But uh, a lot of street hockey and um, no lacrosse. But yeah, my, my uncle um, was a, a rep for... Fillier and Colnago and Campy and, and a bunch of bike brands for my province. And he got his brother, my dad, into cycling. And then I just, I fell in love with it. There was a really, really good community in Ottawa for racing. Um, we had weekly time trials. We had weekly crits. We had weekly cyclocross races. So it was actually really easy to get into when I was, you know, 10 years old and or nine years old and there was kind of the skill level to race to have good races against people from when i was 10 to when i was you know 17 or 18 in ottawa so yeah it, it was a, it was actually a really cool place you don't think of canada as a big cycling hub but but ottawa had a really good community yeah i have uh i live down here in greenville south carolina and there's a lot of canadian uh people that live down here that ride bikes We've gone up and done a couple charity events up there. I know the Toronto Hustle guys. Um, they are so proud of you. Uh, it's so, it, you know, I'm, I, I have a little text thread with them because we, we play poker together from time to time and a lot of them are from Canada. 
and they are just over the moon about what you've done. You know, like they should be when Ryder Heistall was winning, when Michael Woods was winning. You know, so so you have you have some big shoes to fill, my friend. And um, <laughs> I just want to say that what you've done has been amazing. But this is a what have you done for me lately kind of sport, right? Um, it It's here today, gone tomorrow. How do you want the next chapter of your career to play out? And when that book is done and you close the cover, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, like I said, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure it out. My biggest goal when I signed professional was I, I want, I wanted to win a grand tour stage by the time I retired. Um, didn't expect to come this close on, on the first try, but at the same time, I know these opportunities are, are hard to, to come by. There's no guarantee that I'll win one just because I've come second so many times. Um, so I, I've never looked at, I've never looked at my career and said, oh, I want to follow in the footsteps of, of a guy like Mike Woods or Ryder Heshtal or Swain Tuft or Steve Bauer. I, I've never looked at it and said, I, I want to be, you know, the greatest Canadian cyclist of all time or anything. I just wanted to go professional because I've wanted to since, since I was a kid. Um, and just, I maybe when I turn professional, I maybe set my sights a little too low. Um, or before I turned professional, I guess, you know, when I, when I was a kid, I never said, I want to, I want to win Perry Roubaix. You know, I, I said, I want to, I want to ride the Tour de France. I want to race Paris-Roubaix. I want to make it to that level. So, because you look at these guys and you think these guys are the best of the best. To to be able to be there and to be able to compete at that level is is almost unattainable. But to get to that level is is maybe something that I can achieve. So, I think I definitely have some some reevaluating to do. I mean, to get messages from Canada and to say oh, you've inspired me to ride a bike or, or you've inspired, you know, my kid to ride a bike. That's something that I never expected to do at any point in my career. So that is really, really special to me. So if I can have a long career of, of things like that, then I think I could retire pretty happy. Like, yep. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking. I like that really. I, yep. I can agree, absolutely can agree to that. But so now it looks like you got a good long future ahead of you, right? To make that happen, you got to do a lot of miles in the winter. How does a Canadian train in the winter with you guys do the feet, right? Or you do meters, let's say 10 feet of snow. How do you train at, you know, whatever, minus 20 Fahrenheit and, and you know, 10 feet of snow? How's that working? Snowshoeing? You take get, take the dogs out? You run with your sled dogs, or you know, uh, <laughs> you, give, uh, give us you, a little insight. Or is it just hours and hours on a home trainer? <laughs> you drive to the airport <laughs> and you leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, alrighty. But uh, no, there there are some days that that because I usually spend November in in Canada, and 
some days have been have been pretty grim. Um, our tire sponsor Maxis makes a tire, a trainer tire, uh, sorry, a training tire that is, it is the grippiest thing I have ever ridden, and I. I took it out one day when it was snowing and I had five hours or six hours. And I said, I, I will quit this sport if I have to do another five or six hour day on the trainer. And, uh, so I got it. I put ski goggles on and, uh, I have these tires on thankfully, cause I hit a few, hit a few patches of ice. I don't recommend this to anybody. Uh, it's a horrible, horrible idea, but I ended up doing loops of, uh, of just two hours so I could come in and thaw, thaw my water bottles because they were freezing. But, uh, no, those, those training days are, are few and, and far between. And, uh, hopefully I don't do too many more. <laughs> jeez, jeez. Well, I have one last question because you must have your, your ear to the streets. And I want to know if there's any young Canadian guy that you've heard from that is up and coming because we didn't know much about you. Jonathan kind of whiffed on the whole signing you at, in that French restaurant. But can you give us any 411 or do you have any knowledge of the next new Canadian talent coming up? Because we, we got to start uh, paying attention. I I hear almost almost every day, hey, watch out, watch out for this, kiddies. He's coming for you, but, uh, there's, there's a couple big talents on the track, but they're already in our, our development, uh, our team's development program. But the one I keep hearing about is, uh, Ashlyn Berry, who's Michael Berry's son. Um, but I think, I think, uh, Jonathan Botters might already be onto that one because I think he's on their, their, uh, their junior team. But, uh. No, I hear, I hear he's a, he's a phenomenal bike racer. And I mean, yeah, with, uh, with parents like that for sure. Uh, so I'll be interested to see where, where he goes. Um, that's probably all I can think of. Um, he, he, he's probably the next big uh, Canadian talent. I mean, there's an 18 year old who's on, who's on Ineos. They signed up, they picked him up. Uh, they picked him up for three years. He's relatively obscure right now, but, um, He's on Ineos, so that won't last long. <laughs> okay, one very uh, last question, short question. With your big engine and your background as a track rider, team pursuit, do you ever thought about the hour record? Maybe not this year, but maybe in the future, building up to it. I I remember watching your hour record, and I thought, oh, that looks horrible. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure, I'm sure you can attest that it was horrible. Um, but I do, I do, you know, four minutes of team pursuiting or less. And, and I'm, I'm like, all right, let's call it. That's it. I want to get out of these aero bars. I want to ride around on my road bike. So I, I think there's just too much, too much that goes into it, too much time and too much, uh, too much commitment at this point. I mean, who has it now? It's 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 gone. Ipugana. Yeah, by by a ridiculous amount. So yes, uh, fifty six something. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna leave that one. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna leave that one be and not not embarrass myself by giving him giving that one a try. <laughs> well, you you have given us enough of your time right now. You've 
just finished your first grand tour just a couple days ago. Derek, it's been great to get to know you over the last month and even better this last 45 minutes. So we really appreciate you coming on Bobby Yens today and wish you all the best in the rest of the 2023 season and in your entire future. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yenzi, how awesome is that guy? I mean, he's just got to be the nicest rider on the planet right right now. I mean, he just seems so humble that he hasn't even really realized how how amazing of a result that he had and how much people really know his name and want him to succeed now. And I liked his like plain honesty when we ask him, "Hey, so what changed for you?" He goes I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know why I got all this good in the Giro. So things must have just fallen in line for him. Hopefully he can have a little break and keep that spirit up for the second half of the season. Yeah, you know, it, when you when you see a rider succeed like this um, and saying something like that, like, I don't know what kind of rider I'm going to be. I don't know this. I don't know that. What, what makes me nervous is that there's going to be too many people funneling information into him and he could kind of get caught up in this whirlwind and, and get a little bit confused. But it seems like he has a really good head on his shoulders, you know, saying that he came from that town in, in Ottawa of 5,000 people, um, his dad being a bike fan, I think he's going to keep his feet on the ground for sure. Yep, couldn't agree more. He <clears throat> Plus, he got, you know, with um, Canadian cycling legend Steve Bauer, a great DS. So he got a good social surrounding group. They will, like, keep him on, on grounded and go, okay, listen, do this, do this. So he got a good network of friends and family. And, yep, absolutely. And I'm pretty sure we haven't heard the last of him and his dream of winning one Grand Tour stage before he retires. I'm sure we will see his dream coming true. This show was a Valley News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mauser. Thank you all for listening. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. And please share your cycling stories with us. Derek mentioned that Simon Clark was his cheerleader at the Giro. Let us know at Bobby and Jens on Twitter and Instagram who your cheerleader is.